younger uh, when uh, Dallas was on. Now, we never watched that in my house because we, we, we just watched Bonanza and, and Gunsmoke. That was it, you know, the Hall. That was my house. That was it. But, but I remember at school, everybody talked about Dallas, you know, and who shot JR? I mean, that was, that just, man, that was all you read about. Who shot? And I thought, who cares, you know, because it's a TV show. But, but anyway, cliffhangers, they were, they were, they were a, a real thing, um, and people got into them greatly. But it's not just in shows. This morning we're going to kind of look at a cliffhanger in real life. And it's much more important uh, than just some silly how show ends. But this, this is fate. This is the, the, all this. How, how does life hang in the balance? We look at this in Deuteronomy uh, 9. You know, and, and in this, we really need to understand, it's important to understand what happened when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. You know, when Moses went up to, to and got the the the, the, the tablet, the, the 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 covenant, and he brought that down. It, you know, we we're on this side of the cross, and, and and you know we've talked about it so often. We're we're somewhat Old Testament illiterate. You know, we we've been raised. Most of us have have been raised to be somewhat Old Testament illiterate. We don't really know what happened. We don't. We yeah, we know the 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 big pictures and. You know, we know the story of David and Goliath and all this. But as far as understanding these things, there's a lot of it we, we, we don't, we miss. And, and, and we need to kind of to understand what happens. You know, we said, as we read through this last week, we read in, in uh, Deuteronomy 9.10, we said that, and the Lord gave Moses sin, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that he had spoken with you on the mountain in the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. And, and you know, I would, I would venture to say that if we ask most people who are raised in church, did you know that God actually spoke those words of, of covenant to them? I, I would guess most people don't know that. Most people think that God just told them to, to Moses and rid them down, and Moses carried them down. Most people don't realize that God actually spoke these words to them. He spoke from the mountain, and they heard all this. You know, it wasn't just, just sort of, I, I, he had this conversation with Moses. Okay, Moses, you will tell him. No, God called them up, and God spoke the words to them. And, and more than that, we need to see the response. So I know I just mentioned Deuteronomy 9, but, but I want you to either turn to or look at, at Exodus 19 so you kind of understand the response. So here he is. God, God spoke his word to them, and, and, and they responded in Deuteronomy 19. I'm sorry, in Exodus 19, verse 5. God, this is God speaking. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, so, so God spoke all these words, and he told them, he said, if you obey this, if you keep my, my, my covenant, if you keep my word, you shall be my people. You'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You're, you're going to be all this. 
So Moses came and called all the elders of the people before them and told them all the words the Lord had commanded. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So they came up. So they called all the elders up there, and they got all the people, and they said, now, now this is God's word. What are you going to do with it? And all of them said, we'll do it. Everything God said, we're going to do it. We are going to obey God. We're going to keep this covenant. We are going to, to, to fulfill all this covenant. And this is that first covenant, that first agreement. God told them the commandments, and they agreed or promised to keep them. Lord, all that you said we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to obey this. This is an agreement. We're agreed on this. They failed. They couldn't even keep the commandments until Moses got down with the document. The, the originator of the phrase, they broke it before the ink dried. You ever heard that, that phrase? They, they broke the promise before the ink dried? This is it. So this is the situation we pick up in Deuteronomy 19. It wasn't just God had spoke this. God had spoken this, and they agreed to it. They promised they were going to keep this. So Deuteronomy 9, verse 13, I want you to pick up the reading there. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people. It is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and cast their names from under the heavens. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. They had sinned. And, and, and the problem wasn't that they were trying to make a, a Baal or a Ashereth or a, an idol of another god. No, the problem was they were trying to make an image of God. They wanted to have, they wanted, so we're going to worship this God, this great God, and so we're going to make this image of him to make it easier for us to worship. But the problem is God has said, I will make an image. You're not going to make an image of me. I will make my own image that you're going to worship. And so they failed. Go on. You had turned aside quickly from the way the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Now you need to understand, they broke the covenant. God just broke, the, or Moses just broke the tablets. They had broken the covenant. They had failed. They had sinned. God, God allowed Moses to break these two tablets to show them the nature of their sin. It was gone. The, the, the covenant, the promise, the agreement was gone. It was shattered. So God allowed Moses to, to, to break those tablets to show them that they had already broken the covenant. So I took the hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before 
40 days and 40 nights. 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what evil was what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. But I want you to, I want you to put yourself for just a minute in that state. If here's Moses coming down with these two tablets, and it's based on this agreement, this agreement that has led you out of out of out of out of Egypt, that's led you to this point, the got this mountain. You've seen this mountain burn with fire. God has said all this. If you do this, you keep my commandment. It's all going to be well with you. You're going to be great. And you've said, "We'll do it." You you you, you promise we're going to keep it. All this, and you've already sinned. You've already broken the covenant. And Moses broke the tablets to show you you've broken it. Now where are you? What do you have now? What are you holding on to now? You have sinned before the holy, righteous, consuming fire of God. And you have no covenant, no promise, nothing. You have broken the agreement that you made that, that, that you made with God. And God is ready to destroy you. See, this is the reality of our sinful state. That God is ready to destroy us. You know, we 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 don't we don't really understand that. And it's kind of funny we mentioned that in Sunday school this morning as well. Imagine living in a world with the reality of knowing that my next sin might be the sin that God said, I'm just tired of you. I'm going to destroy you. Because he's holy and righteous and just. And that's who he is. But as we discussed last week, Moses interceded for them. But for 40 days, he's up there on that mountain and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's coming out. You're just there. And, and before we jump into the New Testament, before we jump into Christ, it, it's helpful for us every once in a while to go back and remember what that feels like. Do you remember what it feels like to be lost? Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember what that feels like to know that you deserve death, hell for all for all time? We need to go back every once in a while and, and remember that. You know, I think one of the reasons that Christ is not beautiful to the world because he's not all that beautiful to us anymore. Because we don't think about what that means. To be caught in our sins in a hopeless state. To be caught because we're we're right with them. This is God's covenant. This is God's laws, and we've broken them. And, and, and we're not we don't dwell in that forty day period of just what's going to happen to us. 
I mean, could you imagine what that felt like? For 40 days, the mountain's on fire with God's holy wrath. And you've got no covenant, no promise, nothing. That's a scary thought. We know that Moses interceded for them. Verse 21, Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that ran down the mountain. And we discussed that last week. He took their sin, and he burned it up in the consuming fire, and crushed it, and it was washed away in the living water flowing from the mountain. Talk about the imagery there. You know, it's just so packed with imagery. Just this, here's all your sin that were crushed and washed away in the living water, that flowing water flowing from the mountain. And in case you're wondering, all that is imagery of Jesus Christ. But the question is, where does that leave them? They still have, they have nothing. They've got no covenant. God went on to tell them in Exodus 33.3, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. At least I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. God, you're not going to go up with us? Okay, you, you, you're, you're, you're just going to let us go without, a, without God, without you? That is a disastrous word to them. I, I couldn't help but wonder as I, as I was reading this and preparing this, would we mourn? If we heard that from God, would we mourn? If God came and said, all right, I'm going to let you go and you're going to live your life and you're going to go and do whatever you want to do, I'm just going to go with you. Is the presence of God sweet to us? Is it meaningful to us? That the idea that God would, would, would allow us to live our life and not go with us? And we would say, that's disastrous. They mourned. This rebellious, stiff-necked people mourned when they heard that. When they heard that. But again, it's, this is the world. This is the condition of many in, of the world around us every day. God is ready to destroy them, and their life has no purpose, no direction. It's empty, and they don't even know it. And as we said last week, the Lord was angry at, at Aaron as well, and Moses prayed for him. So we, we kind of have this. This verse, in verse 20, where, where God kind of singles Aaron out in this. And the Lord was so angry at Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And as you know, as most of you know, Aaron was the high priest. And he was given that task of mediating. And, 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 and not just mediating, he was presenting the picture of the high priest. This is going to be the high priest. This is, this is that picture. Aaron, you're going to be the picture of the high priest. And the high priest was going to be the image of God. 
But Aaron was insufficient. He could not do it. He, he, it was not enough. He was insufficient for the task. There needed to be a better one. Now, God was still going to use Aaron and use his role in the future, in the role of the high priest and in the religion. But, but neither Aaron nor any of his descendants was ever going to be sufficient. There was no descendant of Aaron that would ever fit that image that God was going to bring. So here we are with a broken covenant, with no relationship or promise from God. We have a high priest, but no God to pray to. We're helpless and in danger of being consumed for our, for our being consumed for our ne very next sin. This is the condition these people find themselves in. This is where they stood right there. We have a high priest, but who's he praying to? We've got no covenant with God. We've got no agreement with God. We broke it. We're hopeless and helpless, and there's nothing they can do. We broke the covenant, but Jesus Christ, our intercessor, fulfilled the covenant. He fulfilled it, which begs the question, what does it mean that he fulfilled the covenant? And how is fulfilling the covenant different from keeping the covenant? We need to see this. In this section, God, he's going to show us that God not only kept, that Jesus Christ not only kept the covenant, he also fulfilled it. You know, if the, the children of Israel, if they had done everything perfectly, all they would have done was kept the covenant. That's all they can do. But it wouldn't have been fulfilled, would it? So what did Christ do that was different than just keeping the covenant? See, Christ did more than just live a sinless life. He did more than just keep the, the, all this and, and follow all this and keep all the covenant. And he fulfilled it. And we want to look at this. So back in Deuteronomy verse 22, 9-22. It, it's kind of, kind of, you know, we have this, this horrible sin of, of the golden calf. We have this horrible picture of this. And it's almost like Moses didn't finish talking about their sin. You can go and list some more. You know, all right, you convinced us. We're horrible, awful people. Why do we need any more? So we need to see Christ. Verse 22, at at Teberah, and at Massah, and at Kibrath Hadavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And I know some of you are saying, now, what do these places have to do with Jesus Christ and 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 and, and you know talking about the children and the sins and how does it go into film it? But but it really does. See, these three events are, are really kind of odd. You know, you repeat these things and 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 they're not really. They occurred at different times. This is not in chronological order. It's kind of like, so, you know, what do we make sense? Two of them are in numbers. The first and third one are in numbers. The, the second one is, is back in Exodus. And you think, why would he pick these three out of all of their sins, out of all their failures, why would he list these three here? And, and why would he list in that order? Why, why would he list in the order they failed or, or something? You know, it, it, it's almost... You know, and, and it really kind of goes, drives home the point that he's not telling a story. He's giving you a theology. 
You know, we, we so much want to read these things as, as stories. And God's not telling us what happened. He's telling us, he's telling us about him through what happened. And there's a big difference between that. You know, so 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 two of them that are you know, the first event mentioned and the third event, Tabrath and 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 the Kibrath Harva, we find in number thirteen that happened after Mount Sinai. We find the other event, Massah, is in Exodus sixteen, which happened before Mount Sinai. So it's kind of it really doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think we look at this and we'll see what these failures mean, and we'll see how they tie in to Jesus to Jesus' life and what 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 Moses is talking about here. So the first one is in Tabra. Tabra means burning or consuming fire, and it's found in Numbers eleven one. And there it says in, in Numbers eleven one, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about the misfortune. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned against them, and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down, till the name of the place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. See, this, this was a test, and they failed, because they didn't believe God was enough. Here they were, they, they were there in the, the, the wilderness, and God was going with them. But, yeah, we got God, but that's not really enough. We, they wanted a little bit more than that. They wanted more than, more than just God's presence. Yeah, you know, he, he, was, he was sort of taking care of us, but it just wasn't enough. They wanted more. And God's anger burned against them. And the outlying camps were burned and consumed. The second failure here is at Massah. Massah means temptation or testing. And, and it's there's the, the idea of a thing, well, it's their temptation or their testing. No, it wasn't their testing. This is where they tested God at Massah. And this is in Exodus 17.2. We'll read there. Exodus 17.2. Therefore, the, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Let's skip down to verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come from it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so on the side of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and at Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They failed in this test because they really felt they needed to test God. They, they, is God really among us or not? Is God really, is his presence really here? Is that enough? Is that, that going to work? They put God to the test. They failed. Their third failure, the third failure listed here, is at Kibrathadava, which means the grave of longing or lust. Back to Numbers 11. They had been complaining. Here we have the manna, we got the manna to eat, but it's, it's just not enough. God, we want more than manna. We want meat. 
So as you know the story, God sent the meat, and the meat was so great that they, they could just pick it up off the ground with a quail. And while the meat was yet between their teeth, from Numbers 11.33, it was con- before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibrath Hadava, because they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibrath Hadava, the people journeyed to Hazareth, and they remained at Hazareth. They failed their test. This is a test of, of almost self satisfaction, wanting more than what God was providing. God was providing manna in his time and in his way, and God had promised to give them more. But they wanted it now. We want it in our way, in our time. This is how we want it now. They failed. All these three tests. The test, uh, the, the first test uh, of not being satisfied with God alone wasn't enough. The second test, putting God to the test. They failed. And the second test uh, of not believing God, not accepting God's timing, uh, 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 wanting what they wanted now in their way, the self-satisfaction, they failed all three. And see, these are the three tests that Jesus perfectly passed in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. See, Jesus knew that God was sufficient, that when when he was came and tempted by, by Satan to want more than God, his response was, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. He perfectly passed that test. The next test, he refused to put the Lord to test. When Satan said, well, jump from the highest mountain and God will catch you. He said, no, you don't put God to test. You do not. He passed that. And he would not take the cities offered until God provided them. He trusted God. He kept the commandments. He perfectly kept all God's word in all of his life. But did he fulfill them? Verse 23. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, and it's, let me stop right there. It's a real interesting phrase in, in Hebrew. There's, there's almost there's two translations of this. Uh, one is uh, Kadesh, which means holy or holiness. The other one, uh, Barnea, can be translated two ways. It's like, like a lot of phrases, like most even our words, they have two, two meanings. Uh, and it's really cool. One of them is desert of wandering. Or it, so the phrase can mean the holiness of the desert of wandering. Or the holiness of an inconstant sun. A sun that is made of more than one part. He's not constant. He's not. So it's kind of, there's, I mean, I think this would be really an interesting study sometimes. Just what, does that, what does that mean? So, but really, don't have time right now. But it's really great to look at those two meanings associated with this phrase. So it's either the holiness of the desert of wandering or the holiness of the inconstant sun. So God said, when you go from Kadesh Barnea, go up and take possession of the land I've given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and did not believe him 
or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. The Lord Jesus Christ, he kept the word of God. But then everyone after them rebelled and continued to rebel constantly against God. We refuse to keep that. We refuse to keep God's word. But see, Jesus kept the law with his life, and he fulfilled the law with his death. Verse 25, Moses speaking again, So I prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Now these are just pictures, but God, but God shows us the obedience of Jesus Christ here, the 40 days in the wilderness, the humility of this, that he humbled himself before God. He, he followed God. God led him in the wilderness. God led him to the place of hunger. He perfectly followed that path of, 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 of the wilderness and, and all of that, and evil, even humbled himself to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2, that this is Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, he not only kept the law, he fulfilled even the sacrificial portions of the law. He fulfilled it all. And if he didn't fulfill it all, if God, if Jesus Christ didn't fulfill all of the law, if, if all law was not fulfilled in him, we would still be in our hopeless position before the Lord. We would, we would be hopelessly before him. If he did not fulfill all of it, if, we, if it was any of it left us, left up to us to fulfill, we would still be hopeless because we can't do it. And he did it all for the glory of God. Verse 26, And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do not regard the stubbornness of his people or their wickedness of their sin. Least now again, he's not saying don't don't destroy them because they're nice people or they got a good heart or or they didn't mean bad or or, or they're doing the best they can. He he didn't come and say you know you really God just need to kind of overlook this because of uh, 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 you know they're okay people. No, don't destroy them. At least the land from which you brought them say, because the Lord was unable to bring them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. God said, Moses said, don't destroy them because it's about your glory. Because it's about your holiness, about your righteousness. For they are your people, your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Or don't destroy him because it's about your glory. And we know what happens next, and, and we'll get into this next week. Then Moses brought down a new covenant. But this is different. You need to understand the difference between this covenant and the first covenant. 
the first covenant, God read all the words to them, and they said, we'll do it. We'll obey them. We'll keep them. And they couldn't. This time, this covenant that God wrote, God didn't speak it to them. This covenant is found in Christ and Christ alone. He kept it. He fulfilled it. He did it. All. This is the tablet that, that, that Moses is bringing down this time. Not one based upon an agreement. Not one where, where they said, we'll do all this, and then God wrote it down. That covenant was broken. It's gone. This one is found in Christ and Christ alone. He did it all. As I said, Moses broke that first tablet, but he didn't break the covenant. They did. They promised God they would keep his word, but they didn't. So God gave them a new covenant, a different covenant, that was, set, that was fulfilled and kept by Christ and him alone. And he did it perfectly. He kept that covenant. He fulfilled it perfectly. And how do we know that he kept it perfectly? How do we know that? What's our evidence that God perfectly kept and fulfilled, that Christ perfectly kept and fulfilled that covenant? By the resurrection from the dead. You see, the resurrection of the dead, that penalty for breaking the covenant couldn't hold him. He could walk out of that tomb because the penalty of breaking the covenant had no effect on him. He perfectly kept the covenant. And our only hope, our only hope of relationship with God is found in Him and Him alone. There is no hope. There is no hope of relating to God through us keeping the covenant, through the law. We broke that. That's gone. You break it once, you break one law, you're guilty of all of them. It, it doesn't change. That law is still the fact. Our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. And, and and but but you know before you before you can know what that feels like, you need to know what it feels like to be cut off. I think the real struggle right now in our world is, is we don't understand what sin is. We don't understand what that means. We don't, we don't have that feeling of what does it look like to be to be cut off from God, you know? What does that mean to be in that hopeless state of saying, if I don't have Christ, I've got nothing. If, if, I, don't, if, I, if I don't know who Jesus Christ is, if I, don't have, if I don't know that he paid the price of my sins, if I don't understand that, if I don't know that presence of God, it's a disastrous word. And if we don't know that, if we haven't felt that, Christ won't be beautiful. It'll be a burden. Ken shared this week about uh, a friend that was talking to Gail, uh, and she's talking to her daughter, and, and, and the daughter shared with, with uh, uh, her mom you know, living the Christian life is so hard. I just can't do it. 
Gail's response was, praise God that she's come to that point. Because she was trying. She really was. She was trying to live it out. She was trying to do it all right. And felt overwhelmed by the burden of it. She was almost to the place ready to turn it all over to Christ and trust Him. And that's where we all need to be. So tired of trying to live righteous. We need to know what that feels like. Remember what that feels like. And learn what it feels like to trust Christ. And recognize he kept the law. He lived the perfect sin of his life. He fulfilled the law. He died. He fulfilled all the sacrifices. And he died on the cross. And God looked at that and said, it was perfect. It was righteous. Grave couldn't hold him. And this is the hope. This is our only hope that he offers all those and found only in him.